episode 33 of Insecurity. This week on the Insecurity Show, we discuss disclosure of vulnerabilities, what's responsible, what's not, and what's right for you. For heaps of information in our show notes, check out in-security.org slash EP033. You can follow us on Twitter at Insecurity Show. Or send us email to feedback in-security.org. My name is Max. And my name is Matt. Happy New Year! And to you. And to our listeners. It's January of 2015. It is January 2015. I've just come off of a lovely Christmas slash New Year's stint. How about you? Yeah, very nice. Very nice. Uh, Santa Claus delivered a ice rink to us for a family present. So I've been setting that up and maintaining it in our backyard. It's a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. Oh, the maintaining? It's fun. Kids are having fun. I'm having fun learning to skate backwards and do all sorts of stuff that I should have known as a Canadian male over the age of whatever I am. I ran into a little bit of um, under-the-weatherness. So did we all. I ended up having to do a lot of indoor stuff instead of venturing out into the chilly Vancouver plus seven degree weather. Shut your face hole. Have you guys gone out and seen any movies lately? We're getting excited for the movie extravaganza that is this summer. Summer? Yeah. Avengers, Batman, Superman, Jurassic World, Terminator, Ant-Man, Mad Max. Mm. Actually, that Mad Max, I saw the preview for that. That looks phenomenal. The new Terminator looks really good too. Yeah, right? I don't know what's going on with movies. They're looking like they're good again. Yeah, it's like movies like you've never seen them before. It's going to be exciting. What about you? Are you, uh, are you excited for any kind of movies? There's... You know, with kids, I never get to see movies, unless they're kids' movies. Last movie I saw in the theater was Big Hero 6, which was awesome. I heard excellent things about it. Oh, it was really good. I actually enjoyed it as an adult as well. There is a uh, a movie that's supposed to be coming out, which is looking pretty neat. Um, I've read a couple of reviews on it. You know how all of my technical knowledge comes from the movie Hackers. Right. And uh, what's that other one? Um War games and sneakers. Sneakers didn't have that much from a computer ha- hacking standpoint. But it had a human hacking standpoint, right? Social engineering. Social engineering. Social engineering I learned exclusively from sneakers and Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> right. And then there was cryptography as well in sneakers, if I remember correctly. And how to set a good voice password. Yes. Well, from the computer side of things, I learned everything I know from... Uh, my good buddy, Zero Cool. <laughs> Dade Murphy. Zero Cool crashed 1,507 computers in one day. Mean people will say that that movie was not necessarily factually correct. What? I know. There's a new movie out, which is, in fact, meant to be uh, one of the more accurate hacking portrayals in recent times. This is from articles that I have read recently. The, the new movie is... Uh, Black Hat with Chris Black Hat Hemsworth Thor. Hmm. I'll admit there's there's only trailers out, so I don't know the the particulars of it. And I might have watched the trailers with the sound off, but I'm pretty sure it's about Thor learning, learning to love (laughs) and to hack. I I'm not so sure. Like, I don't really care about technical accuracy. I'm more of like a feeling kind of person like what feeling does this give off and this doesn't give off the best feeling to me as uh as a movie that i'd want to go see but to each their own um in an article that i read from wired it's saying uh the the movie itself is named black hat and the article that i've read is saying that 
Is Black Hat the greatest hacking movie ever? Hackers think so. Yeah. Uh, so they did. Apparently, they did a lot of research to try and closely tie it in uh, to actual processes, procedures, techniques, um, so that they didn't get just kind of laughed out of the the, the theater. So, uh, yeah, Black Hat. You know what Black Hat is? Yes. Uh, cowboys, they would have a bad guy and a good guy. And the bad guys would always wear the black hats. So black hat is a, a term for people who are bad. Yeah, absolutely. Hacker means so many different things to so many different people. But for the most part, the media has taken it to mean, you know, somebody who's breaking into computers. So to distinguish between the good guys and the bad guys, they've come up with black hat as somebody who like violates computer security for little reason beyond maliciousness or personal gain, according to Robert Morris. But a white hat is somebody who actually uses these skills to improve security. So basically a good guy and a bad guy. Yeah, good guy, bad guy who do the same thing in breaking computers. Like hacking is all about manipulating the computer to do something that it wasn't originally intended to do. So there's good guys who do it to make a computer fail to show, hey, there's a problem here and we can fix it. And there's bad guys who make computers fail so that they can take advantage of the situation and gain something out of it. They've taken the old film trope from 20s cowboy movies and brilliantly updated it so that we can continue to use it to this day. Absolutely. So when you got a black hat, you've got the, the malicious people, the people who are actively for their own personal gain. When you've got white hats, you've got people who are actively trying to go out there, locate the problem, uh, and fix it. Right. And, and usually, hopefully, the white hat has permission to do what they're doing. Right. They're, they're doing something to improve security. So maybe they've bought a piece of software and they're tinkering around with it, to try to figure out how to make it break on their own. And then they'll record how they exactly did that and let the person know who sent them the software. Hey, your software's a little weak here. You should probably improve that. That's got to be pretty useful. Absolutely. It, it improves the community, right? That's like the rising tide floats all boats kind of thing. If it's open source, that'd be great. But unless it's open source, you then provide the developer with this information and what goes? What do they do with it? Hopefully, if the developer's mature, so hopefully they'll go and fix it. There are scenarios where people take the information, they treat it just like any other bug that they have, and they'll assign a priority to it and go about fixing the problem in a future release. So this is something that's called vulnerability disclosure, right? The person who discovers it, they become like a security researcher or they stumble upon it and they just say, hey, I found a bug. This is the bug. This is what it does. It has a security implication. Hopefully it's this straightforward that people can communicate well. They say what's the problem. The person responds back and says, oh, okay, you know, thanks for letting me know what the problem is. We'll fix it by so-and-so date. Oh, okay, thanks. You know, if you if it's okay, you might want to just mention that I found the problem and be a good little relationship, right? And then I'll have this credit in front of the public community saying that, oh, I found this bug. Hmm. That's like best case scenario. Best case scenario. And then worst case scenario is Black Hat finds it, decides, hey, this is something that can make me a lot of money really quickly by exploiting it. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm going to write malicious software and I'm going to exploit it and use it myself for personal gain. Absolutely. And that's the problem is that there are a lot of these Black Hat people out there 
that are finding problems with software and not telling anybody about it, but rather sitting on it, hoarding it, using it for their own personal gain, selling the access that they gain through this method to other people to create these botnets that we've discussed in the past that allow compromised computers to be controlled in these massive networks and then attack other people. This is the this is the dark side. And so the good guys know that the bad guys are doing this. And so they've got like a little bit of a balancing act to do. And they say, okay, well, for public safety, you know, if we find a problem like this, we have to report it. We've got basically a moral obligation to say, there's the problem out there. We need it addressed. So we're going to communicate it across. But how do they choose to communicate it depends on the appetite of the person who's disclosing the vulnerability in the first place. There's something called coordinated disclosure or responsible disclosure. That is, you know, I'm coordinating with the person whose company it is to give them the heads up that this is the problem. And we work through the problem and we say, okay, so when can you have this fixed by? Now, here's the things that you need to know. Here's how to exploit it. And you work through these scenarios and they say, hopefully, okay, we're going to address it by this date. And then there's a few touch points on and on about that. So that's pretty clear. And that sounds like a pretty good relationship. Sometimes though, you'll have someone go out, reach out to the vendor and say, here's the problem. And either they're clumsy in the way that they communicate the problem that the vendor whose software product is the software vendor who has the vulnerability can't understand it, you know, maybe claim that, hey, this isn't really a vulnerability because they don't understand it themselves. And there's this vulnerability out there that's not being remediated. And it's frustrating for the person who actually discovered the vulnerability and is trying to get the person to fix it. Or maybe the person has other priorities. So there's cases where People have disclosed vulnerabilities and they've fallen on deaf ears. And when the person says, I'm going to communicate this out to the world, I'm going to go to a conference and speak about it, you know, whatever. Then the person, then the company says, no, you're not. We're going to send lawyers after you. You're not allowed to speak about it. This is a a violation of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, baby. Either you're going to jail, you're going to get fined for it. And if somebody does disclose it, there's been cases where people have sued them for damages of the the release of the vulnerability when people exploit it. There's another potential outcome here, which would be you'd let the developer know what the problem is. You'd tell the developer that there's an issue with your software, that there's a fundamental flaw, and the developer chooses not to act on it. They just opt to not, for whatever reason, be it costs, be it... Um, that they've moved on from the project, that that lead developer from that project has gone, whatever it might be, that they just choose not to act on this. Uh, then you've got a, a, a customer or a series of customers left out in the cold. Right. And this is where it really gets into this gray area. So if you release it to somebody and they don't do anything about it, or worse yet, they come back and they try to shoot the messenger that the problem exists and they don't know that there's maybe all these black hats out there taking advantage of it and compromising the users of this product. There's this this limbo that that's set up of of where things could be going wrong every second that nobody does anything about it, right? Even before the good guys find out, bad guys could be taking advantage of this. So, you need to let the people know if they use this product, they are vulnerable to to what you discover, right? So that's kind of the moral obligation that I was speaking of earlier. 
So what you're saying is jump straight onto your soapbox and let everybody know, hey, this is a broken product. Don't use it. Uh, you know, you need to give the vendor enough time to actually go about fixing this. So it's a balancing act of how much time is right, depending on the severity, depending on if you've seen it being used in the out in the wild before. If something, if you know something's being exploited, then the onus is, hey, this is a higher priority item to go and fix, right? So you got to develop some sort of negotiation. And then if it's like something so fundamental that will take you know, a year to fix without people dragging their feet on that, then there should be a certain level of maturity that people have that says, okay, I'm going to grant these people a little more time to fix it because it's bigger than a bread box or it affects multiple companies and coordinating the release of a patch amongst multiple companies is complicated and it needs to get done. Or there's some people that just say, you know what? I want nothing to do with it. I've found a vulnerability. I'm just going to let the world know good people, bad people, whatever, right? And that's the other technique called full disclosure. They'll just shout out, here's the problem. Here's how to exploit it. You know, I haven't let the vendor know. Doesn't matter. Now it's in everybody's hands and everybody scrambles, right? The bad guys scramble maybe to, to exploit it if they didn't already know about it. The good guys scramble to go and fix it. So, you know, as we were saying before, there's cat and mouse games that are played here. Full disclosure has a bunch of benefits to it. In a perfect scenario, you would find a problem, you would announce it to everybody, and everybody would be like, ah, okay, so there is this problem with this software. That gives me choices right away. I know that there's this problem. I know there's this potential vulnerability. If this one dude found it, then other people may have found it. It might already be exploited. I can take a look at the vulnerability itself. Right away, I can see, okay, this is either mission critical. This is going to affect my bottom line. This is going to affect my systems. This is going to affect my business. I then have to take immediate evasive action steps to fix it. Because if one guy finds it, it doesn't mean that it hasn't been found. It's not out in the wild already. Absolutely. So that gives you that huge benefit. You can then you know, look at alternative products, which is a massive expenditure in some cases. I mean, if it's something as simple as using notepad versus using a third party notepad, then that's more or less a moot point. You can just be like, well, that's it. I'm closing this one off. I'm starting this one. But when it comes to some sort of, you know, content management system, some sort of backend system, some sort of inventory system, something like that, it can become massive. And if it's a mundane issue like you know if you uh if someone selects this product and then hits you know i don't know shopping cart three times then all of a sudden they can change the color on their font to anything they want like right who cares you then have that information available you know how that works you can assess that means nothing to me that doesn't affect our business we're going to live with that we're going to accept those risks um, if it means that, you know, you click three times on shopping cart, then all of a sudden they can now um, drive your car home, then that's big. At that point, you're going to want to try and consider your options. So, again, going back to the ideal, you tell everybody, they then take that information. They say, huh, well, this could potentially affect me. I'm going to make these changes. I'm going to find other ways to mitigate it temporarily. I'm going to, you know, put the club on my car so that they can't steal it. Exactly. The 
problem with that is that perfect world scenario doesn't exist because as soon as someone says, hey, did you know that this exists? All the bad guys are like, I didn't know about this, but now I do. And I'm going to take that information and try and exploit it as quickly as possible before fixes happen. So there's a bunch of bad guys that probably don't already know about that and they will race to do that. And then there's maybe a bunch of bad guys that already know that it's happening and saying, oh, man, now the world knows about the problem that I've been exploiting all this time. So I need to ramp up the next stage of this. I need to leverage what I've already got to, you know, prevent somebody from applying a patch. I need to ramp it up to deploy a back channel that Mm -hmm. I remotely connect to all these systems because my main channel that I've been connecting to these systems is going away. Or backpedal vigorously so that I cover my tracks and nobody ever knows that this was even an issue. There you go, because now all of a sudden a bunch of security researchers are going to be looking at it going, oh my God, I've been compromised by this vulnerability. So if they know, then they pull out and then all of a sudden, no trace. Right. And, and, and certainly the people who are using the product, the ones that don't have a way to migrate off of that product to something else, now they feel slighted. They feel like, hey, why did you let the problem out in the public? Because now people are going to be attacking me for using this product. So there's a little bit of a victim that gets that feels the fallout for a little bit of time on this whole full disclosure thing there's been a lot of debates around whether it's good or not i think personally you know it's a choice of the person who found the problem to let it know there's a guy named bruce schneier who's famous cryptology guy he's a a researcher he's a, a brilliant scientist there's a link in the show notes to go and read his essay on this topic and it's, it's really good. Unbiased gives both sides of it. So people have found a middle ground. They say, I don't morally feel right about just dropping a bomb and walking away about this whole full disclosure thing. And I don't feel right in, you know, letting the vendor know and then have them ignore me or come back and attack me by trying to sue me or whatnot. So there's these organizations that have come forward. And I believe we've mentioned the Computer Emergency Response Team, or CERT. They have a vulnerability database and they have a a disclosure policy there that says, basically, follow these steps, describe the problem, we'll rate the severity of it, inform the vendor, show us a proof of concept. We won't show other people, but we'll hold it to ourselves. After 45 days, if nothing's happened, we'll let out the headline type of information saying this vendor has this problem. At least people know that there's an issue with the vendor. But if I'm a consumer of the product and I have infrastructure at my ready to actually be able to fix a problem without me knowing what the problem details are, you know, I can't actually block it. I can't create rules on my side that would protect me against this. I just have a vague feeling. So now the onus is on me to do research that's already been done to try to figure out what it is. So there's the kind of pros and cons there of this method. The CERT group have uh, the CVEs or for common vulnerability enumerations that that is the de facto standard saying this product has a vulnerability with this number this is the outcome of it these guys are huge this is like the the nist groups and the u.s department of defense they rely heavily on this group to coordinate an understanding of what vulnerabilities are out there and how they affect products the argument that i have is a minor one they provide a great service but there's just some downsides that people perceive with this being 
the fact that they don't actually release the information of what the problems are. And there's other organizations that go about this differently. You brought forward you know, a topic for this, which was around Google's policy on notifying people. They seem kind of rigid that they've developed this standard. They're going to apply it equally across every organization, telling them, hey, I found this problem and you have 90 days to actually go about and fix the problem. Different companies have different policies for when they're going to release things, how they're going to, how they're going to go about it. The cert de facto standard is CERT's de facto standard. The problem is when you get into landscapes such as ours, where there's so many different massive companies, all of them working with each other's technology, people are finding things. People have their own rules and people follow their own rules. One of the more recent uh, widely reported instances of this is there's a vulnerability found recently in Microsoft Windows, and it was found by none other than Google. Google has an internal policy for their bug reporting and release and fixes and whatnot, their uh, bug reporting, wherein they will let the vendor know and give the vendor 90 days to try and resolve this. And Google has this research team that doesn't only look at problems with Google, but they also look at it with other vendors. Is this part of the same program as that Project Zero that they were, we were discussing before? I suspect that it is. This is part of Google's um, zero-day discovery team, discovery and disclosure team. Um, they have created a department exclusively to try and track down problems, vulnerabilities, bugs, and then report them. Now, personally, I think that they're going way above and beyond what they need to do. This is a company that has, they can benefit from people having more security, but they can also benefit from people not having security and having this information, but they're not doing that. They're actively going out, trying to find problems and trying to live up to their previous credo. I don't know if it's still their credo of don't be evil. So what they ended up doing is they discovered a vulnerability in Microsoft Windows and notified Microsoft. Now, Google's policy is strict. It is wait 90 days. If nothing has been done within 90 days, then at that point, go full disclosure. So you start with your uh, responsible disclosure. You let the company know. You keep it between you and the company. You find out with the company what they want to do with it. You let them know, I've got, I'm giving you 90 days. 90 days after that, you're on your own. I'm going to announce it. Um, Microsoft has a storied history of releasing patches on the second Tuesday of every month. Uh, their famous Patch Tuesday. And their theory behind it is that this gives any kind of IT or InfoSec professional just a set date. Uh, the Everyone in the industry knows, hey, if I'm going to have to update everything, I'm going to update it on the second Tuesday of the month. This is coming up. This is going to happen. I'm ready for it. I've got my downtime everyone knows like second tuesday is coming up time to reboot my computer or restart my servers or whatever it is so that all these patches can take effect and and it gives it organizations a chance to plan resources to get together and say okay we're going to test this before we deploy it across the entire organization in case something goes boom yeah, as you can opt in and out of the patches google found the problem notified microsoft 90 days is three months, so you've got three sets of Patch Tuesday to go through. The 90-day period ended up hitting two days before Patch Tuesday. 
Microsoft allegedly had the release ready to go. They had the update, the patch set up and good to go. Um, but because they were choosing to wait until patch Tuesday to release it, uh, and Google has their strict 90-day policy. I don't know how strict it is. Google has their 90-day policy. Google ended up announcing full disclosure to everybody that there was a vulnerability discovered in Microsoft Windows, and this is the vulnerability, and this is how it works, and here's the details. Um, Look into it yourself and figure out how to do it. And this obviously upset Microsoft greatly. Microsoft then could not release their patch until Patch Tuesday because that's the decision that they've made. Right. So it's a couple bits of inflexibility between the two organizations. Actually, uh, Microsoft said, we want to release this in February. And Google said, no, 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 90 days. And Microsoft said, okay, well, we can rush this out. We won't have the amount of rigorous testing that we wanted to have on this fix. And, you know, the downside is it could adversely affect systems so that they don't work anymore. But all right. You said 90 days, we'll release it on patch Tuesday. Give us two more days. And that's where the inflexibility came and Google said, no, 90 days. Everybody gets 90 days, no exceptions. So you end up having an unstoppable force and an immovable object. Both of them have decided that this is the stance that they're going to take. Google had their 90 days, which we don't know the particulars of why it's 90 days necessarily. Um, Someone must. It might be available. If you know it, by all means, fire us off an email to feedback at in-security.org uh, or tweet it to us. Um, but Google said 90 days, 90 days, and that is it. Microsoft, on the other hand, only likes to release their patches on Patch Tuesday. Unless, of course, it's a minor patch and then they release it whenever the heck they want, which means they have the capability to release it whenever the heck they want. They just opted to do it on Patch Tuesday. In theory, they had it available. I don't know the particulars of how much additional rigorous testing they did in their remaining two days before launching this, I suspect that it probably would have been ready for launch and then they would have just hit the button to go and not been still tinkering with it to the last second. Well, I I think that that uh, Patch Tuesday was pretty much the last second that they could have released it. Microsoft has released things out of of, uh, patch cycle before, like there's a history at Microsoft of, of doing that for like the greatest of severity vulnerabilities. This one's that uh, Google released is apparently a privilege escalation vulnerability. So it's not as bad as, you know, somebody on the Internet able to make your machine run code. It's if somebody already has an account that can make that account uh, the administrator account. Mm-hmm. That's the escalation of privilege bit. Uh, as far as I understand, it wasn't remote code execution, but again, I could stand to be corrected, but I think it was pretty much Microsoft was scrambling around trying to fix this. And it's a core part of the operating system for the windows desktop. Um, they didn't want to rush it as much as they had to even, and they couldn't have released it a week before as an out of cycle patch because they just weren't ready for it. Can't they then continue testing it? Like, don't they put out an initial fix to just stop it? And then they can continue testing it and release a more 
robust version next month or do you think that they're just going to fire and forget it they've obviously gone through some testing it depends on on what it is microsoft has a history of releasing these quick fixes that somebody can do a couple manual steps to make a machine not vulnerable to a problem to disable a feature or whatnot right so it depends on where this actual vulnerability was a manifested within the operating system it might have been something that was not quick fixable right it might have been the way the computer natively works within a, an enterprise within the domain that it's a part of a quick fix is very much a manual step that somebody has to do it's not the same as applying a patch throughout the organization and with this looming deadline coming to fruition i could understand the hesitancy to to go through that step right plus there were Nearly, nearly done. Fair enough. So Microsoft tends to favor what they originally called responsible di- disclosure. Of course, because this ended up being a little bit heavy-handed in the wording. Yeah, responsible is a loaded term, right? So you're saying, hey, you're being irresponsible if you don't inform me first. There's either responsible disclosure or there's dirty, dirty jerk disclosure, which is the one that you're doing because, well, clearly you're a dirty, dirty jerk. (laughs) Exactly. It's a little bit loaded, a little bit heavy handed. So instead they have since changed it to CVD or coordinated vulnerability disclosure. Their preference is this CVD, which is tell us about it, tell no one else about it, Uh, And that's it. Then we'll do with it whatever we see fit. You have you don't give us a time frame or anything like that. Yeah. And there's some some very good examples of where this has gone and done fantastic things like where somebody has had the patience to work through multiple vendors. The one that comes to mind in 2008, there was this huge vulnerability basically across all of the Internet around about the ways that your computer knows to communicate to other computers, uh, knows what where to reach these other computers called DNS, domain name services. And so this guy, Dan Kaminsky, found a problem within the design of DNS. And every computer uses DNS. So he said, wow, this is a big one. He recognized that it could actually break the internet right? That whole swaths of people would be, could be told to go to a malicious site rather than a good site. And he said, it's a fundamental flaw. It's going to take you guys a long time to fix it. So I'm going to bring in Microsoft. I'm going to bring in Cisco, who does like a bunch of routing stuff. I'm going to inform Yahoo that they're on a vulnerable piece of software for DNS that can't be fixed and they have to move over to this other one. I'm just going to inform like all of these main core infrastructure folks that do operating systems and let them know the problem so that, you know, we can all work at releasing the patch at the same time. Because if Microsoft went first and Cisco wasn't ready to fix the problem, right, somebody would reverse engineer what microsoft's patch did find the flaw and then exploit it at everybody else who didn't do it at the same time right so that this had to go out at the same time or else basically the internet wouldn't work dan kaminsky worked with these guys over a year to to coordinate this release and then release it all pretty much at the same time so all these groups came together they disclosed together uh it was brilliant success everybody released their patches pretty much on the same day and it was really good thing to see 
you know, another time when we've seen this in more recent history, but to a lesser degree with less of a flaw, was the OpenSSL flaw, also known as Heartbleed. Right. That was more along the lines of, hey, you huge vendors are all affected by this. You need to all be on the same page as to patch this right away before we disclose it to everybody because it's so easy to exploit. This is a a, a great example of this system working. It doesn't necessarily work, though, all the time. Another excellent article about this was posted. Uh, you can check it out in the show notes if you go to in-security.org slash EP033. The companies look at it as a PR problem. If the number of people complaining about it is low enough, then it's not really going to affect our sales. This is not necessarily all companies. This is the companies that are obviously causing a problem. But if someone tells us about a problem and we can get away with not fixing it and saving that money, then we should get away with not fixing it and saving that money. If you're a small development firm, you can't necessarily allocate all the right resources to get this fixed up in enough time or at all necessarily. Um, you develop one product, you release the product, you put it out as final and, you know, good luck to you. If you get enough negative press about it, then you end up getting forced into this. Right. So to to combat this, there's been a big movement out there for people to to have disclosure policies and, and certainly be ready for people to report vulnerabilities to them. If you're a mature enough company, you recognize the fact that nobody's perfect and nobody develops perfect software the first time, that there's bugs that they need to get addressed over time. There's these programs that big companies like Microsoft, Facebook, Adobe, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. There's uh, actually a good, so there's a good link in our show notes that actually point to a list of companies that have these bug bounties. And all that is, is these companies say, you know, if you find a problem with our software, not only will we not, you know, sue you and reject what you're saying and and chase you down and harm you, we're open to it. We will actually reward you, which is, in my opinion, how companies should be dealing with independent testers finding things that are problems with their software and going about and responsibly disclosing it, coordinated disclosure to release a fix. So these well-established companies have developed these things and they have a criteria and all of that stuff, but I'm sure there's still problems that fall on deaf ears that don't get interpreted correctly. There's a lot of other people who are saying, hey, this is a really good thing. At this point, what I'd like to do is just figure out where does this leave us? What do we learn from this? What do we take from this? If we're working InfoSec for you know small, medium, large company, where... Where do we go from here? What do we take from this topic? If you want, you can outsource your bug bounty program. You just say how much you want to reward people for finding these, and they will work through the coordination and, and making sure that it's an actual problem rather than you know somebody's computer just being funky or whatnot. So there's a link to that in our show notes too. Very interesting article on that. But at the very least, if you're developing software... Please be open to receiving notifications of vulnerabilities. Make contacts for finding these bugs obvious. There's a whole standard that says how you're supposed to be doing this. So create the mailbox that you need. Monitor that mailbox. Be prepared to receive them. And don't quickly dismiss them and say, 
well, you know, I don't understand it, so it's not a vulnerability. You have to have a little bit of effort to go through the work to You're to doing it wrong. It You're using the tool wrong. It's clearly just your fault. Right. The whole point of using the tool wrong is what the malicious people are going to do to try and exploit it. Oh, totally. Absolutely right. When you receive a notification, you got to track the details on your side too, right? You can't just depend on the person who's sending it into you. So you want to say, okay, who is this submitted to so I can start working on a reputation of this person? You know, have they submitted other things to other companies and they're a known proper vulnerability researcher? Or are they just ad hoc? Is this their first time? And track it so that if they ever report anything to you again, you can handle that. And then look at like, you know, start tracking when the communications came across, when they start getting to the right people so that if you need to defend yourself and say, well, this person just emailed our help desk and they didn't know how to handle it. And they never got in touch with the people who we had on the website saying who to contact. You know, you need to track that. You need to track how severe the actual problem is, what the impact is to your customers. And you need to think about your customers. Don't just think about it as a personal assault against you or time and effort against your company. Think about your moral obligation of putting out software that has vulnerabilities in it. Bugs are bugs. So if you're on the disclosure side, if you're the one who's finding the problems, then definitely, you know, follow your heart, basically. You know, if you're going to attach your company's name to it, get their buy-in before you do so. And you better make sure that you didn't break any laws on the process of finding that vulnerability if you're going to be disclosing it through a full disclosure method. If you're a company that really has no outward facing products, then it's all on you how to handle it. If you're actually developing a product for other people to use, then my opinion is you have a moral obligation to make sure that that product isn't putting people at risk. Awesome. That brings another rousing show to an end. As always, if you have any anything you want us to know, you can send us an email to feedback at in-security.org. You can follow us on Twitter at insecurityshow. And you can leave comments on our website at in-security.org. Let's wrap this puppy up with some nice wrapping paper. Ah, buddy, I want you to have yourself a great week. Oh, man, that's so nice. You have yourself a better week. Oh, shucks.